pumped to be back with you guys this week. Last week, um, as many of you have been through, my, my family went through two weeks of like every strand A, B, C, D, E, F of flu. I, I think there is. Okay, we, uh, we went through it. It was, um, as many of you have experienced, a, a dirty, nasty mess. Okay, it was just a mess all, all the way around, but I'm happy to be uh, back with you guys tonight. And, and as we get started, let me, let me see hands uh, down here up in the balcony. Okay. How many of you are Dr. Pepper drinkers? Where are my Dr. Pepper drinkers at? Or recovering Dr. Pepper addicts? Okay. Hands. All right. A lot of you. Okay. A lot of you. The rest of you need to meet Jesus and um, understand and realize that, that Dr. Pepper uh, is, the, is the drink of heaven. It's God's drink. Okay. So, so, um, but... When you drink too much Dr. Pepper, um, it can affect you in some ways you don't really like. And so I had to get off Dr. Pepper, and it was very, very difficult getting off Dr. Pepper. I felt like I was having to get off like crack cocaine or something like that. It was rough, okay? There were some major withdrawals and side effects getting off Dr. Pepper. But if you are a Dr. Pepper drinker, or if you've ever been a Dr. Pepper drinker, I'm telling you, like, if there was a Dr. Pepper right here um, on ice, my mouth would start watering. Um, I would want it very, very, very badly, okay? And when I took a drink, it would be overwhelming satisfaction and fulfillment when I took a drink of that Dr. Pepper. I mean, it would be amazing, okay? It would just satisfy every part of me. Okay, so you know if you're a Dr. Pepper drinker, you've been to the movies before, and they say, hey, what, what do you want to drink? And you say, Dr. Pepper. And they say, we don't have Dr. Pepper. We have Mr. Pibb. And you... I, I'm not, I mean, when you are a Dr. Pepper drinker and someone offers you Mr. Pip, I want to come over the counter and wring your neck. Don't offer me Mr. Pib, okay? I, it, the, Mr. Pib is the imitation. It's fake. It's not the real thing. It's not going to satisfy me in the way that only Dr. Pepper can satisfy me. So don't offer me Mr. Pib. And, and so I just get angry when someone does that. I'm like, why even, I know you got to, okay. If you've ever worked at the movies, I know, I know that's your job. I, I know you have to, but man, Dr. Pepper drinkers can get angry when you try to give them something else. And, and literally there will be anger that I'll feel start to rise up within me. Like, no, I don't want Dr. Pepper. How come you don't have Dr. Pepper? You got Mr. Pib, you got Coke, you got Pepsi. How could you not have, I want to say, how could you bring, get your manager? I need to know how could you not have Dr. Pepper? I mean, Dr. Pepper drinkers will freak out on you if you don't have Dr. Pepper. And so they'll offer you Mr. Pip. And so you, you, you kind of resign yourself to thinking as a Dr. Pepper drinker, well, I'll just, I'm going to have to drink Mr. Pib tonight. Okay. I'm going to have to go. I don't, I'm not going to get the doctor. I got to go with the, the lesser mister. Okay. So, so I'm going to get Mr. Pib. I'm going to drink it. And then I drink it and I realize this is terrible. This is, this is no good. It's not the real thing. It doesn't satisfy me the way that Dr. Pepper satisfies me. Listen, Jesus said the same thing about him, that only he, the living water, could satisfy us. And that all else, everything else, will leave us thirsty and wanting more. And so here's what we've said in this series, that the Jesus that we often come up with or think up with in our mind, who he is and what he's like, isn't a lot of times, isn't a lot of times the real Jesus. It's not the real thing. It's an imitation. It's a cheaper version that will never truly satisfy you. The Jesus that we 
think up in our minds oftentimes isn't the real thing. That Jesus is fake. And so what we said in this series, we need to get to know the real Jesus. And so here's what we said week one in the, the very first week. This was a couple weeks ago. If you weren't here and you want to get caught up on the series, I would highly recommend that. Uh, go on our podcast, YouTube, website, whatever, and, and get caught up. But week one, here's what we said. Jesus is God. We don't have time to go into all of it, so you'd have to go back and listen to week one. But we said Jesus is God. The writers of Scripture said Jesus is God. Jesus himself said I am the Father. I and the Father are one. So Jesus is God, and we get to know God by getting to know the real Jesus. And when we get to know the real Jesus, we get to know God. We can know who God is and what he's like and what he wants for our lives by getting to know Jesus. We want to hear God speak to us. One of you messaged me in the last week and said, hey, how do I know? How, how can I hear God speak to me? It's a great question. Get to know Jesus. And the things that Jesus said, when you read those things, it's like you'll hear God speaking to you. Because Jesus, we saw in week one, is the exact representation of God. We saw that Jesus is the image of God. All the fullness of deity, all the fullness of God, we saw in week one, dwells in Jesus. So when we get to know the real Jesus, we get to know God. And we said that Jesus, in John 1, is full of grace and truth. So Jesus is all grace, all truth, full grace, full truth. And all grace plus all truth equals real love. And we said that is what our hearts are longing for, the real Jesus that is full of grace and full of truth. And so then in week two, we saw that Jesus not only is full of grace and truth, He's more about our now than we can possibly imagine. Brandon talked about this last week, did an amazing job. He's more about our now than we can possibly imagine. And at the same time, he's more about our later than we can possibly imagine. In other words, he's more about the present, today, this moment, than we could ever possibly imagine. And at the same time, he's more about your eternal life, the eternal destination of your soul than you could ever possibly imagine. Imagine, And we see that in how Jesus would go around healing people, serving people, feeding people. He cared about their now. He cared about their present. He cared about their today. And at the same time, even as people were coming to him and saying, you know, you're, we're looking for healing. He's, he left crowds of people sometimes to go and meet with his father, who at that moment, he thought that that was more important maybe than even healing someone in that moment, in that time. He even told his disciples at one point, hey, we got we to move on to the next place because this isn't necessarily why I've come. I've come to preach the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom. That's why I've come. So he was about people's now, and so he would heal people. But at the same time, he was about their eternity. He was about their later, more so than we could ever possibly imagine because he ended up giving his life for your later. So the real Jesus is full of grace and truth. The real Jesus is more about now than you can possibly imagine. He's more about later than you can possibly imagine. That brings us to this week. And let me ask you this. Do you think the real Jesus is inclusive or exclusive? Inclusive or exclusive? You see, if you were to ask most people, especially younger people of the younger generation, you say, hey, is Jesus inclusive or exclusive? They say, Jesus, my Jesus, uh, the Jesus I know, he is in 
exclusive. He can never be exclusive. That's a bad word, right? Exclusive. I mean, today, in our culture, in our time, being exclusive, that's like a bad, that's a bad word, right? Jesus could never be exclusive. That doesn't sound right to me. That doesn't feel right to me. Him being inclusive, now that sounds right. That makes sense. That feels right. But check out what the Bible says about our feelings, our heart, and our thoughts, like our own knowledge and wisdom. Check this out. This is what Jeremiah verse seven, chapter 17 says. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all else. Your heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above everything else. So you will hear sometimes people say, well, just follow your heart. Do what feels good. Do what makes you happy. Uh, the Bible would beg to differ. God would say, no, don't listen to that. That's a bad idea. Don't follow your heart. Don't do what feels good. Don't just do what you think is going to make you happy because your heart is deceitful and it's wicked above everything else. In other words, your heart will lead you astray sometimes. And some of you are like, uh, been there, done that. I followed my heart into that relationship and that dude or that girl totally jacked me up. Okay. So, so you know, okay, you follow your heart. You just do what feels good. You just do what feels right. What makes you happy. It will lead you astray. Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful. The heart is deceitful above all else. It is wicked. So we can't trust our hearts. So maybe I can trust my mind, my knowledge, like my own wisdom. Well, the Bible says this in Romans chapter one. They, in other words, people who began to think up like what God is like, rather than listening to God's revelation of himself. We talked about that in week one, that we couldn't get to know God unless he revealed himself to us. And he has. And we said he's revealed himself to us in his word and he's revealed himself to us ultimately in Jesus. And so we said we get to know God by getting to know the real Jesus. But we don't come up with ideas about what God is like or who Jesus is and what he's like and what he thinks, what's right, what's wrong. We, we don't come up with those things. We, we listen to God because God's revealed himself to us. He's told us what he thinks is right and wrong. He told us, he's told us what, who, he's, who he is and what he's like and what, and what he wants from us. So this is Romans 1, verse 21. It says this, that they begin to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people. In other words, they began to worship gods that looked like them talked like them, thought like them. You remember in week one, we said, having your own ideas and thoughts about who God is and what he's like leads to idolatry. It's led to every false religion on the face of the planet throughout history. Coming up with your own ideas about who God is, what he's like, what he wants. It leads to idolatry. So we can't trust our mind, we can't trust our hearts, we, we can't trust our own ideas. We can't trust our, our, our minds, our own knowledge, our own wisdom about who God is and what he's like. So when it comes to this question, is Jesus inclusive or exclusive? 
When it comes to any question about Jesus, about God, what's right? What's wrong? What, who, what does God want? What, what, what is God saying? Here's my challenge to you tonight before we ever get started. Remove from your vocabulary, I think this. Just remove it from your vocabulary. Well, this is what I think. This is my opinion. Listen, can I tell you tonight? In the most loving and gracious way I can possibly say it, your opinion doesn't matter. My opinion, on the, it, it doesn't matter. It does not matter. My heart leads me astray. My mind makes me think idolatry, idolatrous thoughts. It leads me astray. So our opinions about God, who he is, what he's like, what he thinks, what's right, what's wrong, they don't matter. God's opinion matters. God's way is the right way. If we want to know God, we get to know the real Jesus. And we get to know the real Jesus by bringing this into our vocabulary. We remove, I think, and we replace it with, it is written. It is written. It's not about what I think anymore because my opinion doesn't matter. What matters is it is written because God has revealed himself to us through his word and through Jesus. And we get to know the real Jesus by looking at what is written. That's where I get to know Jesus. That's where I get to know who this God is, what he's like, what he wants. And so we're getting to know the real Jesus. And we're going to continue in that tonight. Is Jesus inclusive or exclusive? Well, it doesn't matter what I think or how I feel about it. I've got to go to what is written. God has revealed himself. He's told me what Jesus is like. So my responsibility is to go and to find out, is to search. The Bible says in Proverbs, the fool, the fool does not seek God. They think they know what's right in their own eyes. So it's wise to seek God and what he says and what he wants. So was Jesus inclusive or exclusive? First of all, let's look at inclusive, okay? Was Jesus inclusive? Now, if you were to ask a religious person or maybe an older person, they would say, oh, no, no, Jesus wasn't inclusive. He, he, could, he wasn't inclusive. That's, you know, that's a millennial thing. That's a millennial term, Jesus being inclusive. But no, no, he couldn't be inclusive. Well, let's, let's, let's look. Let's look at what is written. If you've got a Bible, go to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, if you don't have a Bible, uh, we'll have the verses for you on the screen here in just a second. But if you go to RaiderChurch.com on your phone, the verses will be there, all of our points, everything that we're going to be talking about tonight so you can follow along uh, with this. If you go to RaiderChurch.com and select message notes uh, in your web browser on your phone. But let's go. John chapter 4, was Jesus inclusive? This is starting in verse 7. Jesus is, is, is traveling and he goes through Samaria and it says, Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised. Watch this. For Jews, Jesus was a Jew, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. Jews 
typically refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. They didn't like them. They thought they were the, the scum of the earth. They were the lowest of the, the low. They were irreligious. They weren't spiritual. So the Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said this to Jesus, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. So here's what I want you to see in these first few verses in John chapter four. Jesus completely destroys, shatters racial norms. He's a Jew. He intentionally, most Jews wouldn't even go through Samaria. They would go around Samaria because they didn't want to have anything to do with Samaritans. Jesus went through Samaria. He went through it so that he would interact with, so that he would engage with Samaritans. And he gets tired and he comes to this well. He sits down and he wants a drink and there's a Samaritan there. And Jews, she even said it as a Samaritan. You guys, you don't ever want to have anything to do with us. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus shatters the racial norms and the racial prejudices of the day. And he includes someone of a different race. He engages her. Let's keep going. But to those who drink the water I give, they will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again. And I won't have to come here to get the water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told him. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you've had five husbands. And you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly have spoken the truth. Jesus as a Jew, a prophet, a teacher, a rabbi, would have considered to have been a holy person. Now we know, most of us know that the rest of the story that Jesus is actually God in the flesh. This is God. Completely, perfectly holy and sinless. Without spot, without blemish. And he, Jesus, the son of God, a Jew, a rabbi, a teacher, a holy man, a prophet, is sitting down at this well, engaging in a conversation with a woman who had five different husbands and she's living with a man who's not even her husband right now. Jesus completely shatters all the religious norms of the day. He, he, he shatters them. He's including someone who's not religious like he is, who isn't holy like he is, who doesn't make, the, who makes completely different decisions with their life than he does. He is shattering the religious norms of who you would associate with, who you would hang out with, who you would talk with. He's including someone. He's opening his arms up to someone whose life was totally broken and heaped in sin. And he's saying, come here, come on, let's talk. You've been searching for happiness. You've been searching for satisfaction. You've been searching for, in all these different places and all these different, on all these different men. And you're still doing it. Even right now you're searching for, listen, you're going after water that will never satisfy you. But listen, come to me. 
Come to me. I've got living water. And if you will taste the living water that only I can give you, you will never thirst again. In fact, that water will become a bubbling spring within you. Life will begin to bubble up inside of you and overflow out of you. Jesus completely shatters the religious norms and he includes someone who's totally irreligious, completely sinful, and he engages her. He includes her. Let's keep going. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worship? And Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one that you worship. While we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way, for God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming, the one who's called Christ. And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. In other words, Jesus said, I am the son of God. I am the promised one. This woman... doesn't have all of the right theology in place. Theology is just a big word that means all the right beliefs, all the right doctrine in place. She isn't sure about all this. She doesn't know. In fact, Jesus even points it out. You, you, you Samaritans, you know very little about the one true God. In other words, her theology wasn't all right. It wasn't all exact she didn't have it all together. She knew very little about who God is and what he's like and what he wants. And so in a very broad sense, Jesus includes, he engages with someone who thinks differently, who believes differently, who has a different theology, a belief system about God, has a completely different theology than he does, and he engages her. He talks with her. He has a conversation, not an argument. But he sits down with someone who doesn't believe exactly the, the way that he does. And yes, he shares truth with her, but can you see the way this is happening, what, what's, what's going on? He's sitting down with this person, he's engaging, he's having a conversation. He's including someone that doesn't think exactly the same way, that doesn't believe all the same things that he does. So let's keep going. There's more. Just then his disciples came back and they were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well, ran back to the village, telling everyone Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So people came streaming from the village to see him, to see this man that totally rocked 
this woman's world. Totally changed her life. Jesus, in this conversation, shatters all the day's gender norms. The association that men would have with women. In fact, in this day, women would have been considered just generally a lower class, lower status, lower value, lower worth than men. And Jesus comes and shatters that and includes her. So in this story, Jesus includes a woman of a different race, of a different class, of a different gender, with different theology. He includes her. He engages her. He has a conversation with this woman. Paul said this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. And you also, he's talking to the Ephesians, and you also were included when you believed the gospel. You were included. Do you know who Paul's talking to here in Ephesians? He's writing to these people at Ephesus who were Christians now, but they were Gentiles who worshiped the goddess Diana. In other words, they were idolaters. They worshiped false gods. The Ephesians, before they believed the gospel, here's what, here's what they were before. They out of their fear of Diana and the curses and the sickness and the death, the infertility they thought would come from Diana if they didn't satisfy her, if they didn't appease her with sacrifices and going to the temple of Diana and performing all these just incredibly insane and gross uh, sexual practices. And uh, there, there, there were priestesses that would, that would work these temples that would engage in intercourse with men as they would come and they would see that this would be a worship to the goddess Diana to appease her so that she would not take out her wrath and anger on the people. It was idolatry. They were extremely sexual, sexually immoral in their worship, in their sacrifices to Diana. This is who Paul is talking to in Ephesians. And he says, and you also, you, idol worshipers, who would engage in orgies, basically, at this temple to worship this false goddess, Diana. He said, you, you people, you also were included when you believed the gospel. You were included too. He would write this later in Galatians chapter three. He said this, there is no longer Jew or Gentile there's slave or free, rich and poor, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you grew up in church, you grew up singing a song that says, red, yellow, black, and white, all are precious in his sight. All are precious. All can be included. Who else is precious in God's sight? Well, conservative Republicans are precious in the sight of God. Liberal Democrats are precious in his sight. The poor are precious in his sight. The rich are precious in his sight. The Baptists 
and all their rules, the Methodists and all their rules are precious in his sight. The Pentecostal, those that are running around the, the, the sanctuaries and jumping over the pews and all that, they are precious in his sight. Assembly of God, precious in his sight. The church of Christ are precious in his sight. Those who like hymns are precious in his sight. Those who like contemporary music are precious in his sight. Those who like instruments in their worship are precious in his sight. And those who don't want instruments in their worship are all precious in his sight. All are included when they believed the gospel. We all become one, with all of our differences, become one family in Christ. All are precious in his sight. We have one Lord, us who are different in all kinds of ways, have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one family of God. All are included, and you also are included when you believe the gospel. So here is the heart behind Jesus's inclusiveness. Here, here, here's the heart. Here's the why. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. All, the, the world. God loved the world, all. The Bible says that God desires that none perish but all come to repentance. Jesus looked on the crowds and he had compassion. He looked at all of them and had compassion. Paul said, I become all things to all men in order to save some. In other words, I will engage with, I will become like as much as I, I can. I will adapt, I will change in order to, to whoever it is in order to save some, in order to communicate the gospel in a way they can understand. Paul said this, that you and I as followers of Jesus, we've been given a ministry of reconciliation. In other words, you and I as followers, as Christ followers, we share his inclusive heart and we have been given this ministry of reconciliation. In other words, the heart of the Christian is to bring people together. It's to make peace, not to divide. It's to include. That's the heart of the, but we've been given a ministry of reconciliation to reconcile people together people, groups together, races together, classes together. We've been given this ministry. This is our heart to include all that are precious in his sight. So was Jesus inclusive? Yes. More than you could possibly imagine. So then the question becomes, well, then if he's inclusive, then he couldn't be exclusive, right? Because it's either or. You're either inclusive or you're exclusive. So was Jesus exclusive? Well, today, in the younger generations, people say, no, no, Jesus could never be exclusive. That's a, that's a bad word. That's a, that's a bad thing, right? Well, let me give you some examples of when it's good to be exclusive. Maybe it's not necessarily always 100% of the time a bad thing. 
Did you know that you have to be at least 35 years old to be president of the United States? That means probably every single one of you, you cannot be president yet. You are excluded from being president for right now. Now, some of you are like, that's not fair. I want to be president. I want to be president right now. I think I should be able to be president at 18 or 21 or 22, 23, whatever. However, I think I should be able to be president. right. Well, most of the people in our country throughout history have said, you're not ready. I'm just over now 35. I've just passed the line. I was excluded from being president until I was 35. And I tend to think now on this side of 35, it's probably a good idea. It's probably a good idea to exclude people who aren't yet 35 from being president. You could say it's 34, 36, 37, whatever. I think it's probably wise to exclude people that haven't had all the life experience maybe they could possibly have to lead our country. I think that might be a good line of thinking to exclude people who don't, have, don't yet have the life experience, the ability, the wisdom to lead at that kind of level, to lead our country. Did you know, some of you know this, you're pre-med. There's a lot of requirements to become a doctor, right? And you probably think the doctor that you go and see or the doctor that's done surgery on you, you'd probably like to think they've been through some classes, okay? They've taken biology, right? I mean, you are excluded. You can't just decide to be a doctor. Oh, I'm going to be, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to go get a practice. I'm going to, I'm going to do certain. No, 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 no. You want to think that your doctor has taken some tests, has some approval, has some accreditation, has some experience, okay, has been trained. You don't just get to go and play for the Dallas Cowboys and play football if you want to. You got to be able to throw a football. You got to be able to tackle someone. You want to play professional basketball, you got to be able to shoot a ball into a round hoop. You got to be able to dribble. You can't do those things. You don't get to play the sport professionally. You don't get paid to do it. My guess is you care about who comes into your home. You don't want just anybody coming into your home. You only want the people coming into your home that you have approved to come in, that you've given a key to, or you've given the code to. You you don't want just anyone coming into your home. You've got a door there, and chances are it probably has a lock. You're excluding people. How could you possibly do that? When you were a kid, Chances are, if you had a room or you shared a room, you did something like what I saw my boys did last summer, and I took a picture of it. Here's what they did. Keep out. Keep out. They didn't want anyone coming in the room. And then when we told them, hey, uh, you, you, you can't keep us out. We're your parents. We own this house. Okay, we're, we're coming in. They added this, parents exception. And they spelled it kind of weird, okay? But then, but then here are the rules they came up with for their room. They're excluding everyone who doesn't want to follow these rules. Here what they said. No messes. They had just cleaned up their room, okay? And they, they realized how much work it took to clean it up. And they didn't want anyone coming in and making a mess. Their friends had been over and made this huge mess, and they had to clean up after them. So they're telling everyone that comes into their room from now on, you're not making a mess. We, we had to work hard. We had to bust our butts to clean this room. You come into our room, you're not, you're not making any messes. No shoes, There's another sign right here. This is with the arrow right here. Drop your shoes right here. You got to leave your shoes outside the door. Okay, no food, no drinks, unless it's the summer. If it's the summer, you can bring drinks into the room, okay? It says no climbing around like this is a jungle gym. This isn't your jungle gym. This is our room. You can't come in here and just climb around all over whatever you want. Here's They said no spitting. 
I guess one of their friends spit in their room. I mean, it's disgusting, but they, they put no spitting, okay? And, and then they put no sisters. Sisters cannot come into their room, okay? So these are the rules, and you have to follow these rules. Oh, except later, they added this, except if you're Levi and Coben, then you can do any of those things you want, okay? Because it's their room. But if it's not your room, if you're not Levi and Coben, then you can't do any of these things. They said, if you come into the room, you can only smile. There's only smiles are allowed in their room. Here's one of the signs, okay? So they're, they're excluding all of these people. This sign up here, you probably can't read it. It says parties only on Friday. So on Friday, it's a party, okay? It's a party. You, you want to party any other day of the week? Sorry, you're excluded. You can't party in here. It's not Friday. But on Friday, we're going to party, okay? They've got some pictures here, their family. Uh, this is all of us and our family. You can't probably really see them. But then I thought it was hilarious too. They also have a picture here. They took a picture with Josh Jung from our baseball team and Zach Reams, who used to be on our baseball team. Now he's in the, the, the majors, minor uh, professional baseball. And um, they put the picture up of Josh and Zach uh, up here on their door uh, with the rest of the family. So, so this is the entrance into their room. There's a door, there's a lock on the door. It says, keep out. And there's some rules. They're excluding you and me. And they're saying, if you come in, you got to follow their rules. Some of you, you probably did something similar when you were a kid. What about relationships? Do you think there's exclusivity in relationships? There should be. My guess is, girls, you don't want to hear your boyfriend come and say, hey, I'm, I'm sleeping with your roommate. Is that okay? cool? Are we good? You're going to say, no, that's not going to work for me. I'm sorry. That's, that's not going to work because the nature of relationships is exclusivity. So it's not always a bad thing. So the question is, was Jesus exclusive? Well, again, it doesn't matter what I think. Let's go back to what is written. What did Jesus say about himself? Because my heart, my mind will lead me astray. I've got to go back to what's written. What did Jesus say about himself? Was he exclusive? Well, let's see. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Jesus said this. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. There's a narrow gate to God's kingdom. And that's the only way to it. That's the only way into God's kingdom is through this narrow gate, Jesus says. The highway to hell is broad. And its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life, in other words, the gateway to eternal life, the gateway to heaven, Jesus says, is very narrow. And the road is difficult and only a few find it. Does that sound exclusive to you? It does to me. Jesus said there's a narrow gate to heaven. And the only way you're going to heaven, the only way you're going to receive eternal life, the only way you're going to experience life after death is if you go through the narrow gate. And then Jesus said this, very few find the gate. Many people, Jesus said, are on the wide road that leads to destruction, that leads to hell. 
very few find and walk through the gate, the narrow gate, Jesus said, that leads to eternal life, that leads to God's kingdom. There's a narrow gate, Jesus said, that leads to God. And if you want to get to God, you want to have a relationship with God, you want to go to heaven when you die, then you've got to go through this narrow, very narrow gate. And that's the only way. That's pretty exclusive. In fact, I would say that's the definition of exclusive. Jesus said this. You might think, well, where's this gate? What's this gate? Jesus said, there will be many that will say to me on that day. In other words, the day that you die. There will be many, Jesus said, that will say to me, Lord, I did this and and I did this. I was a good person and and I went to church and I I prayed and and I read my Bible and I gave some money and and, and I did this and I I, I did all these different things. And Jesus said, many people, many will say to me on that day that they stand before me after they die. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and then to face judgment. Every single one of us in this room, 10 out of 10, 100% of us, and those of us that are watching online, 100% of us will die one day. We've all, make no mistake, we have all got a death sentence. It's appointed unto man once to die. It's the curse of sin, the Bible says. And then to face judgment, to face God. You will die one day and in an instant, you will be in the presence of God. You will stand before him. And Jesus says, many will say on that day, Lord, I did all these things. I was a good person. My good outweighed my bad. And he will say, depart from me to eternal destruction, to hell the place that's been prepared for you because I never knew you. I never knew you. In other words, Jesus is saying the gate to eternal life, to God, to heaven, the gate is me. You know me, you have a relationship with me, you go to heaven, you enter the kingdom of God, you receive eternal life. You don't know me. You're on the broad road that leads to destruction, the highway to hell, Jesus said. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one goes to the father. No one goes to heaven except through me. I'm the narrow gate. And Jesus said, very few people find it. They keep thinking that maybe they're, if they're a good enough person or if they go to church enough times or maybe because they follow a, a Muhammad or Buddha or Confucius or whoever, they, they follow who they follow who they think that they'll be okay with God. And Jesus said, I'm the gate. I'm the way. There is no other way. It's the definition of exclusive. 
And if you're here and you're not sure about this whole Jesus thing, I'm sure the question you would ask yourself, because I have asked it too before, on what authority does Jesus think he can, who does he think he is? How could Jesus possibly say something like that? On whose authority, what authority does Jesus have to say that he is the only way, that he is the narrow gate to the Father? What authority does Jesus have to be able to say he's the way and there is no other way? How could Jesus possibly say that? Who does he think he is? Paul said this about our faith, that if Christ has not been risen, our faith is useless. Did you know that our entire faith, if you're a follower of Jesus, our entire faith rests on the resurrection of Christ? You can say, well, what about, what, what about Noah and the ark? Did they really get all those animals in there? Or what about the, the parting of the Red Sea? Did that really happen? No, no, listen. Our, entire, our faith doesn't rest on those things. Our faith rests on the resurrection and the resurrection alone. Paul said, he said it himself, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is useless. We're wasting our time here. But the implication is this, is that if Christ has been raised, if Jesus really did rise from the grave, then he is who he says he is. And Jesus said he was the son of God. He was the way and that there was no other way. And so if I were you, I would trust the guy that rose from the dead. You rise from, you're, you're dead and then you rise again and you say you're the son of God. I'm going to say, I'm believing you. I'm trusting you that you know how to experience eternal life. You know how I can have received the afterlife. You know how I could die and then be risen again because you did it yourself. So I'm trusting you. If Christ has been raised, then Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. And he conquered sin and death. We said it in week one. Jesus is either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. There is no other option. And if he rose from the dead, and he's Lord. He is who he said he was. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And no one goes to the Father except through him. Because if he is the right answer, and he's proved he's the right answer, it means by definition, all other answers that contradict his answer are wrong. In fact, it's a scientific law. It's called the law of non-contradiction. And here's what it says. Two plus two equals four, right? That means every other answer besides four is wrong because four is the right answer. Four does not equal five. Five does not equal four, which means because five contradicts four, it cannot be the answer to two plus two. I've got a right answer. So that means every other answer that contradicts four is wrong. It's called the law of non-contradiction. And so if Jesus says he is God and he rose from the dead and he proves that he is God, he proves that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He proves that there's life after death that is found in his name. That's what Jesus said. And he proves it. And he proves he's the right answer. Every other answer by definition is wrong because it contradicts his answer. It's a scientific law. It's a scientific fact. 
that if we have the right answer in Jesus, every other answer is wrong. And so we follow Christ, the one who is risen from the dead. I don't follow Muhammad. I don't listen to Buddha. I don't listen to Confucius or any other prophet. I've got the right answer. He rose from the dead. I'm going with him. You have a choice to make. Are you going to go with the one who rose from the dead? Are you going to follow yourself or someone else? And so here, we preach Christ alone. We trust Christ alone. We follow Christ alone because Christ is our sin offering. Christ is our wrath bearer. Christ alone is our substitution. Christ is our righteousness. Christ is our redeemer. Christ is our hope of glory. He's our resurrection. He's our high priest. He's our great reward. He alone is our boast. He alone is our joy. All else, as the old hymn says, is sinking sand. We preach, believe, and follow Christ alone. But here's the heart behind this exclusive message. Here's the heart. We preach Christ alone with brokenness and with a pleading for people to come and to follow Jesus, to drink the living water so that you will never thirst again. We plead with people in brokenness to follow Christ. We, We don't judge people. We don't look down upon people. We're not arguing with people. No, in brokenness and through tears, we are pleading with people to follow Jesus. That's our heart. We're not mocking people. We're not accusing people. We're not mad at anyone. We're not bashing the culture. We're not looking down on the culture. No, no, we're pleading with the culture. Follow Jesus. He is our answer. Jesus sat down and had a conversation with those, with someone that was not like him and pleaded with this woman to drink the living water. So was Jesus exclusive? Yes, he was more exclusive than you could possibly imagine. But as we said in week one, Jesus is full of grace and truth. And so in grace, he includes everyone. And with truth, he says, this is the narrow gate. Come through it, walk through it, follow me and receive eternal life. And so Jesus is not inclusive or exclusive. No, he's both. He is both and he is inclusive and exclusive, more so than you could possibly imagine. And here's why both being true are good news. Here's why this tension is good for you and me. Here's why it's good news. Because you and I are not good. And that may not feel good to hear, because the world will tell us in the world, this feels good. You're, you're good. You're enough. You are good enough. The Bible says the exact opposite. 
In Romans chapter 3, there is no one good, no, not one. Because God's standard of good is perfection. And all of us fall short. You and I, we, we, we all fall short of God's perfect standard. So we aren't good. And the bad news is there's a price there's a punishment for not being good, for breaking God's law, for sin, the Bible says. It's eternity separated from God in a place called hell. But the great news in Romans 3, it says that God loves you so much. It says, but God made a way for you and I to be right with himself. He made a way. You and I weren't good. We were doomed. We were guilty of our sin. We were on the highway to hell. But God, it says in Romans 3, but God made a way. The theologian Ravi Zacharias says this, God could give us 1,000 ways to be right with himself and man would argue and kick and scream that there wasn't 1,001. The problem isn't in the number of ways to God. The problem is in our rebellious and arrogant hearts. God has made a way. That's the good news, is that God has made a way to be right with him. And here is the only way, Jesus said. He said, I'm the way, Here, here's the way. Here's how it happened. God made him who knew no sin, Jesus, he never sinned. He made him who knew no sin. He became sin for you and I. In other words, he took on our sin. He paid the punishment for our sin through his death on the cross. He knew, knew no sin, it says this in 2 Corinthians 5. He who knew no sin became sin for you so that in Christ, so that those who are in Christ might become the righteousness of God. In other words, those who are in Christ would become right with God. God has made a way to be right with himself. It's through Jesus who became sin for you so that those who would follow Jesus, who are in Christ, would be forgiven of their sin completely and would be made right with God. Some of you are here tonight. You need to give your life to Jesus. Tonight's the night. Don't put it off any longer. Tonight's the night to give your life to Jesus. And if that's you, man, go on our website, fill out our connect form and just let us know that that's the decision you're making. But if Jesus is inclusive and exclusive, here's what that means for us. Watch this. It means this, that we are an inclusive people with an exclusive message. We're an inclusive people. Inclusiveness defines who we are, but exclusiveness defines our message. You could say it like this. Our hearts are inclusive. But our answer, Jesus, the narrow gate, is exclusive. Inclusive and exclusive. So here's what, this, here's what this means for us. We have to repent from any prejudice that's in our hearts. It is evil and wicked in God's eyes. To have a prejudice in your heart against any class in society, against any race, against any gender. It is evil and wicked in the eyes of God. 
So we have to repent from any prejudice. Like Jesus, we call, we invite, we talk with, we plead with people, all people of all shapes and colors and sizes and backgrounds. We plead with everyone everywhere to follow Jesus. Like Jesus, we point them to the narrow gate that leads to life. Let's stand. Our, our team's going to lead us in, in worship. And um, as they do, I want to remind you in John chapter 4, Jesus, when he sat down with this woman, he told her, he said, listen, you can keep drinking from all these other places, but you'll never be satisfied. You will continue to thirst. And so listen, can I tell you tonight, you can keep drinking from that guy or that girl thinking they will satisfy you. You can, you could keep drinking, like literally drinking and thinking that's going to satisfy you. That's going to fulfill you. That's going to bring you the, the peace. That's going to satisfy the longing in your heart and your soul. You can keep drinking alcohol and drinking from, from drugs and, and substances and thinking those things will satisfy you. You could keep drinking from the, the well of money and power, wealth, fame, possessions. You can keep drinking from those wells. You will continue to thirst. Your soul will continue to long for something more. Or as Jesus said, you can come to him and drink the living water and you will never thirst again. Like we said in week one, Jesus is what your soul is longing for. The real Jesus, full of grace and truth. This is the Jesus, your soul is longing for. Drink from him and you will never thirst again. You will have living water, Jesus said, bubbling up inside of you, a life, a new life, bubbling up inside of you that will totally change your world. It will totally change your life. And as the psalmist would say, in this, in him, your soul will be satisfied. Jesus, tonight, would you remind us that you and you alone are living water. You and you alone will satisfy us. God, give us a heart to know the real Jesus and to follow him, listen to him, love him, serve him, worship him, because in this, our soul is satisfied.